Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website. So if you just visit the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie, you can then find the Patreon link there. In this week's episode, I chat to Megan and she talks me through her three pregnancies and two births. Unfortunately, Megan miscarried her first little baby quite early on, which was quick to conceive with her little girl, Ayla. She talks us through all of her details surrounding her pregnancy and birth and then dives into her experience with postnatal depression. She suffered quite severely. I know her story will resonate with a lot of you as it did with me. She then speaks about the arrival of her little man CJ and how she ensured that postnatal depression wasn't going to affect her the way it did the first time around. So if this episode does resonate with you and makes you think that something may may need a little bit of looking after it, then please get the help you need. I will link some support networks up on the website. Um, so do avail of them. That's what they're there for. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Megan, thank you for agreeing to come on to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, this is my very first podcast. It's very special. So if you wanted to start by giving us a little introduction to you and your family. Um, so my name is uh, Megan. You can get me on Instagram. I'm at Mont- Momtastic Meg and um, have been married to my husband Garrett for six and a half years now. Um, and my eldest, my little girl, Ayla, actually just turned three yesterday, which was super exciting. Can't believe she's three. Garrett and I had uh, a little glass of Prosecco after she went to bed and sort of toasted ourselves to congratulate ourselves for keeping a human alive for three years. Um, and then CJ is our lockdown baby. And he was born um, at the height of the very first lockdown back in April. So he's just seven months now. OK, I have a little girl who's just turned seven months as well. So I had her at the start of May, the first week of May. Oh my gosh, yeah. wow, we nearly crossed over. We did, yeah. <laughs> so do you want to just talk about, we'll just dive straight into your first pregnancy. So was your first pregnancy planned? Um, yes, it was planned, yes. We, um, so 
the when, when Garrett and I were married for about three years before we decided we were ready to have um kids we very much enjoyed um you know kind of the the young married lifestyle we did a lot of holidays we bought a lot of like I bought a lot of clothes Garrett loves his cars all of that sort of stuff so it took us a, a couple of years to settle down um and when we decided that we wanted a baby um we the, the very first time I got pregnant it happened extremely quickly but it also ended quite quickly um and that was a real kind of that was a real sort of indicator for me of how much I really wanted it which I, I kind of wasn't even aware of at the time until someone told me I couldn't have it you know so I was really devastated uh when we lost that baby but the um medical team suggested that we take a break for um a month or two just to sort of give my system some time to reset um, and that was the plan the plan was to take a break for a month or two but um that didn't actually happen um we were on Garrett's company um we were on a work trip uh, to India believe it or not and um I was there on our very last night I was packing up my bag and kind of getting ready to come home and I noticed the box of tampons hadn't been touched and I thought to myself that's really odd I I should have needed these three or four days ago you know and Garrett kind of said to me don't be ridiculous you know the time difference the heat the food it could be anything and I said yeah 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 you're right yeah you're right but sure nothing was going to stop me I got off the plane and the first thing I did when I got back into the apartment was take a test and it was positive which I thought oh my god so she was planned but she was also mm, a surprise a quick surprise does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah yeah and how did you feel then in your in the early weeks uh I, I was I was scared definitely scared in the first couple of weeks um because uh I suppose because it was so early and having been to India and I also had to go to the states for a wedding um as well and I kind of thought oh my gosh there's long-haul flights happening here and you know I, I kind of hadn't really realized up to that point how delicate um an early pregnancy could be um so I was just really like I really wanted this one you know that sort of way um so the first couple of weeks were nerve-wracking uh we had an early scan and everything looked fine and I kind of think of her as you know she was my meant to be baby you know she she held on through all of that early stuff so um and in fairness to her Ayla was a picture perfect pregnancy there was I wasn't sick um I wasn't tired I was one of those you know in that movie um what to expect when you're expecting and one of the one of the moms in it is like I just have all of this extra energy and my hair is really nice and I was that with me on my <laughs> first pregnancy it was just it was great I loved it um yeah and so what care route did you decide to go down were you uh public semi-public semi-private or public sorry public semi-private or private we went semi-private in the coom and how did you find your experience there? So went in for your 12 week scan and your anonymy scan and. Yeah, I would have to say it was um, it, it was a really positive experience. Can't say enough fantastic things about the coom. Um, so we were we were assigned um, a consultant who happened to be the master of the hospital at the time. Um, and Garrett kind of comes from a medical background himself. So when he read the letter that told us who he had, we had been assigned to, Garrett said to me straight away, we're never going to meet her. We're going to meet her senior regs and her team and stuff, but she's going to be too busy to see you. Um, now, we did actually meet her at one of our appointments and she was lovely. But um, throughout the rest of the appointments, really, the only thing that I was concerned about was I wanted to be scanned fairly frequently. 
Um, and I know that if you go down the public route, you get scanned at kind of 12 weeks, 20 weeks, and then maybe once more towards the end. And, and I just wanted the reassurance of seeing the baby more often than that, which is why we chose the semi-private route. And did you do any classes apart from the antenatal classes that the hospital advised you to go to? Did you do anything, any hypnobirthing or gentle birth or anything like that to prepare yourself? Um, I did pregnancy yoga. Um, but no, I was very, very clear from the start that I would be accepting all of the drugs that they would offer. Um, I, I, I just know in myself that I was not going to be able to breathe my way through this. Uh, I was going to need, I was going to need a bit of help. But um, a friend of mine had given a couple of, a couple of friends of mine had already had babies by the time I got pregnant, and one of them really raved about pregnancy yoga. And I remember her saying to me that, um, that you know, the, the only thing, and it's one of those things where it doesn't make sense until somebody says it to you, um, because it's not the type of thing you would ever think about. But she said that the only thing the baby can hear in there is your heartbeat. And so if during your labor, you're getting yourself kind of panicked and het up and your heart starts hammering in your chest, she said, you're going to freak the baby out. So if, point. if nothing else, just do your pregnancy yoga and do your breathing just to try and keep your heart rate nice and steady she said you'll be calm the baby will be calm and you know everything will kind of follow after that so that was really my goal I think in in trying to breathe my way through it until I was ready for the epidural so how did you feel feel then in the final few weeks of your pregnancy the final few weeks of my pregnancy, I mean, it's so true, you know, like the, the last month of pregnancy is 4,000 days long. Um, and then the closer and closer you get to your due date and people sort of will be texting and say, oh, how are you feeling and any movement yet? And, um, you know, we had um, a, we had the baby shower, but uh, we left the baby shower until quite close to the end. And my mum's sisters were there and kind of the aunts and the cousins and said they had all the old wives tales and oh she has it in her face and she's gone very red and you know the bump isn't low enough yet I'd say you're two more weeks and all of this sort of stuff and you're kind of like guys you know I did everything absolutely everything I ate all the hot curries I nearly burnt my mouth with the amount of pineapple or the acidity of the pineapple you know that I was taking um I went for all of the walks um I you know Garrett kind of thought all of his Christmas had come together because all of a sudden I was <laughs> I was suggesting yeah. that we had upstairs <laughs> um I even went so far as to on the way to get a curry one night I asked him to drive really quickly over the speed bumps to see if we could get something going and nothing got her moving <laughs> so we were overdue then Actually, I wasn't. I went into for an appointment with the doctor on my due date, which was the um, 6th of December. And she gave me a sweep and I no, sorry, the 7th of December. And she gave me a sweep and I went into labor later on that day and I had Ayla kind of the following morning. That's great because some women just I what, what I had, I had one with Eva and there was nothing and she she got in there you know she was fairly you know they can they're good at what they do they are, I, yeah. I was expecting to really feel it that evening and there was nothing so yeah it's great that it got things moving for you yes and and I think I had had um I sort of had like a wish list may, maybe in my head or maybe a, a kind of um like a Hollywood idea of what I wanted my labor and my delivery to be like you know um like I didn't want to be overdue and I didn't want to have to be induced or have a section like in my in my ideal world. I had this thing in my head that I really wanted to feel what it was like to feel my waters breaking. And, um, you know, I wanted to go into labor at home and labor at home for a little while. I wanted my epidural. I wanted to push all of that sort of stuff. And it all just kind of happened that way. 
um which was which was really nice and um yeah it was I mean it when it happened it happened really fast for a first time uh mom that you know we kind of called the hospital and I said oh I think I might be having pains and they told me to take two paracetamol and head away to bed there and we're probably not going to be seeing you now until tomorrow and about 40 minutes later I showed up at the hospital and she examined me and said I was four centimeters gone I couldn't believe it and were you were you having regular contractions then like were you feeling it yeah. So the first few that I had, we, um, Garrett had an app on his phone where he was, you know, timing them. And, um, they, I mean, they were so manageable, you know, I, um, we were watching a movie and, you know, I got up to get a drink at one stage and I went into the kitchen and I kind of shouted into him, like, start the timer. I'm having one now and turn it off. It's gone again. You know, they were just, they weren't at that point where, um, you know, everyone in the antenatal classes had said, like, they'll take your breath away and you won't be able to talk and you'll have to stop and concentrate and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so they were about six minutes apart at the time. And then when my water broke and it broke everywhere, it was not like a little trickle. It was a proper gush puddle on the floor, the whole deal. Um, and when the waters went, they w- they immediately went down to 90 seconds apart. OK. And that was that in the hospital? Nope, that wasn't. That was on my kitchen floor. Okay. Okay. So that was that was a real sense of, oh, now we're gonna get into the car and move. Um, yeah. So, but like that, I was kind of I, the whole time I was like, just keep your heart rate steady, just keep calm. Nobody panic the baby. Yeah, I never even thought of that actually. I never thought that um pregnancy yoga could do that. You know, you just think that hypnobirthing yeah. or something could could help you along there. But so then when you got to the hospital, did they because you were four centimeters immediately bring you up to the delivery suite? Uh, there wasn't a bed available at the time. So I was in the assessment unit in the coom and they um, brought that they examined me and they said, oh, God, yeah, no, you're definitely like this is happening. So they brought me the gas and air um, into the assessment unit for, I don't know, maybe half an hour or so. Um, and then they brought me down to the delivery suite and they got the the epidural for me straight away. And I was only in the hospital for two hours before it came time to push. Okay. So it all, it all moved, it all moved really quickly. So did you feel, did you enjoy the relief then and have a little snooze at all after the, the epidural? No, I'm a very excitable person. I was quite wired. I did. I mean, I had my relaxing music and the midwife offered to turn down the lights in the room and all of that sort of stuff. And it was at that stage, it was half one quarter to two in the morning, I would say. Um, so I, you know, I accepted all of that stuff, but I was sitting up, I was having the chats, I was texting my mom, you know, so when it came time to push then, so she, obviously she, everything happened very quickly. So did you feel prepared when it came time to push? Um, yes and no. Um, I felt prepared in the sense that, you know, this was kind of the next step. And I sort of had everything played out in my head of, well, we need to get labor started and then we need to get to the hospital and then we need to get the epidural and then we need to push. So this was just sort of the next part of it. So I did kind of feel prepared for that. Um, Ayla went into a bit of distress because the contractions were coming so quickly. They were about 60 seconds apart, even though I couldn't feel it. Um, I was told that they were about 60 seconds apart and her heart rate would dip with every contraction, but because they were so close, it wasn't coming back up. Um, so they said to me that they would need to intervene. And I said that I, I really wanted them to try um, with either the forceps or the suction cup. I said, I, you know, I wanted to do everything I could to avoid a section, obviously without putting the baby in danger. 
Um, so they had to, at that stage, then the midwife kind of stepped aside and they had to call in the, the consultant who was on call. Um, so it wasn't my doctor that I was with, but that's how semi-private works. It just happened to be whoever was on the night shift, but she was lovely. And she came in and she said um, that she would attach the suction cup to the baby's head and that we would work together. She said she would give me three pushes. And if I couldn't get her head out in three pushes, that there would have to be a C-section very quickly. Um, so they sort of said you know, uh, lots of people will come into the room, we'll have to press a button that sets off a little alarm, don't panic, everything will be fine. Um, and this is all while they're attaching the suction cup to her head. But I was really determined. I was like, well, if you're giving me three, I'll get the baby out in three. Um, and the bit that I kind of wasn't prepared for was, you know, I really gave it my all with that first push. And all of a sudden they were telling me to stop. They were like, stop, stop, just pant, just pant now. And I remember thinking why. And then um, the midwife who was holding my leg was like, that's it. That's the head done now. And I kind of went, what, what already? <laughs> really? Um, so you gave it your all in that sense. I, I really yeah. did. Yeah. Garrett said that I, I turned the color of a purple skittle. <laughs> he was like, I've never seen anybody's face go that color, but you really tried to get that baby out. Um, so I suppose you could kind of say that everything up to that point went pretty smoothly. Um, and it was after that then that things for me things get a little bit hazy but we talked about it um Garrett and I talked about it quite a bit afterwards and then we had to speak to the hospital about it and stuff um so I I delivered her and they put her straight up onto my chest as I had asked for and um my memory of it is almost like standing at the top of a tunnel where everything sort of to the side of my vision went black and I could see like I could see Garrett and I could see the midwife but all of a sudden they seemed like they were very far away and their voices seemed to get very far away and um Garrett says that I kept saying to him take the baby somebody take the baby somebody take the baby and Garrett says that he was kind of you know, he was sort of stroking my hair and he was like, no, darling, like no one's taking the baby. It's our baby. You've had the baby this, you know, and he, he was kind of like, I don't, don't really know where she was getting this, take the baby from. But, um, all of a sudden, like I was holding her, you know, on my chest and all of a sudden my two hands just kind of went limp and I, I fainted essentially. Um, and presumably in my subconscious somewhere, I knew that this was going to happen. I didn't want the baby to fall off my chest. So I was asking for somebody to take her away. Yeah. So that, you know, if, if anything happened, that she wouldn't drop or fall. Um, so what had happened was, and again, they only told us this in, in the aftermath. Um, I suffered a postpartum hemorrhage okay. um, and I lost quite a bit of blood. So the reason for the fainting was because my blood pressure went down fairly quickly. Um, and they had to put a drip into my arm um, to kind of up my uh, glucose levels and things like that. Um, I came around again, I think, fairly quickly. Um, but they, so, I mean, like I said, I had this idea of what I wanted my birth experience to be like, and I still think that I got everything that I wanted, but from a medical perspective, they would class that as a traumatic birth because of the hemorrhage and the fainting and the need for the drip. And they had to give me, um, clotting, some sort of clotting agents to, to stop the bleeding and things like that, okay. um, afterwards. But again, I was kind of out of it. So I don't really remember that part, which is probably a good thing. And did you need a transfusion at all? No, didn't lose enough to need a transfusion, which was good yeah. because it meant that it wasn't prolonging my stay in the hospital or anything like that. You must have been exhausted then afterwards. Um, I think my adrenaline kicked in because I didn't feel tired. I definitely didn't feel tired for a couple of days. Um, 
but um like i've said before the the like the symptoms of postnatal depression kicked in really really fast so within a couple of hours like i mean she was born at half four in the morning um and you know i i kind of recognized by the next afternoon that this this feels a bit weird i didn't think that that it was going to feel like this at all so there was adrenaline pumping straight away there was anxiety pumping straight away and um kind of my main symptom was not being able to relax enough to sleep so I probably was exhausted, but sure, I was buzzing like a bee around the place. So how long did you stay in hospital? How many days were you in there for? So the type of health insurance plan that we have allowed me three nights in my own room in the coom, which was great. So after having Ayla, they took me down to a ward and I was on a ward for um, five or six hours. I think after lunch, kind of the next the next day, they um, moved me to my own room, which was great because my mum and dad came in and... Um, you know, we could like, well, obviously at separate times, like my, my family came in to see her, Garrett's family came in to see her, all of that sort of stuff. But I spent three nights in the hospital then. And you were saying there that um, your anxiety was heightened. And did you manage to sleep considering you had your own room? Did you manage to have a bit of a breather or just rest at all? Um, I think I used to, yeah, I think I used to doze off during the day when Garrett was there. But if it was just me and the baby, I found it very difficult to to relax enough to sleep. I kind of wanted to be, and I just sort of thought that this is what every new mom did. I wanted to check that she was breathing. I wanted to check that, you know, that she was, that she was, you know, warm enough, not too hot, that she didn't need to change. And And I also kind of had this thing in my head of, well, sure, she's probably going to wake for a feed in half an hour. There's no point in going to sleep now, you know, that sort of way. Um, so, yeah, it was sleep was kind of few and far between. And I think that that probably really exasperated or exacerbated, sorry, the problem. Do you want to talk us through those those weeks following her birth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me see. So definitely within, like I said, within a couple of hours of having her, I recognized that I didn't feel I didn't feel comfortable and I didn't feel this sort of overwhelming rush of love and looking at her and saying, oh, my God, my baby. And, you know, she's not inside of me anymore. She's out here. And I mean, the fact that she was a girl, I mean, I said during the pregnancy, I said everything you're supposed to say that all you all you want was a healthy baby. And as long as the baby was healthy, that was OK. That was a lie. I really wanted a girl really wanted a girl. And as soon as I had her, I said to Garrett, I said, I'll give you 10 boys if that's what you want. I just needed one. Um. So like I was I was so delighted by her, but yet so incredibly terrified of her Um, every noise that she made, every move that she made suddenly was like, are they meant to do that? Is that is that normal? Is the baby meant to be making that noise? Um, and I remember after the epidural wore off, you know, Garrett went home for a few hours sleep and then he came back in and I was still on the ward and I just really wanted um, I wanted to like go and brush my hair and clean my teeth and change my nightdress and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I left the, the baby in her crib and he was sitting in the chair next to my bed. And I went to the um, like the kind of communal bathroom was really close to, you know, some wards you have to walk down the corridor. The communal bathroom is literally right across the hall. And um, I was kind of in, in the middle of brushing my teeth and I'd laid all of my toiletries out on the kind of countertop and stuff. And um, I heard a baby start to cry and I never understood before that moment the phrase that you read in books sometimes where you say your blood ran cold. I never understood what that meant until that exact moment, because I heard a baby crying and I thought, 
is that my baby? I don't even know what my baby sounds like. What kind of mother doesn't know what their baby sounds like when they're crying? And I thought it has to be her. It's definitely her. And I have to get back inside. And I mean, I've obviously like the epidural is only wearing off. I've just delivered a baby. So like I'm what do they say walking like John Wayne, like hobbling back out of the bathroom, left all of the toiletries behind me. Um, you know, just had to abandon ship immediately and get back to my bed. And sure, she was sleeping away. Garrett was reading the paper. At no stage did my head say, well, if the baby's crying, maybe Garrett will be able to pick her yeah. up, obviously. You know, I mean, it's a maternity ward. Of course, babies are crying because there's nothing but babies crying. It wasn't my baby, but I just that was that was the moment that the panic kind of set in and it never went away. Um, I bawled crying, leaving the hospital after three days absolutely bald for no reason Gareth was like what is wrong with you and I just kind of remember saying like oh you know it just we've, we've spent so much time here and and now we never get to see them again like we'll never come back here Gareth's like you're would you your hormones would you relax we're going home um and it was uh kind of it was coming up to Christmas she was born on the 8th of December so we were heading home about the 12th it was coming up to Christmas it was snowing um and I mean, I had the whole house set up and, and, and was ready and just couldn't wait to get the baby into the Moses basket and into the co-sleeper and all of that sort of stuff. But no, again, um, as soon as we got home, it just I just can't describe it other way than just say I was just anxious. I just felt so sick with anxiety. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Um, I was a horrible, horrible person to be around. Like, I don't know how Garrett didn't walk out because you know everything he did was wrong he couldn't pick her up properly he wasn't winding her properly um and she was the first grandchild on his side his his um his parents don't didn't at the time have any other grandchildren other than her so like they wanted to come down and they wanted to pick her up and they wanted to cuddle her and I hated people touching her I hated if people took her out of my sight um I just I just but yet Having said that, and I don't know if this makes sense. I also, like, I didn't want anyone touching her um, or interacting with her, but I also didn't want to be alone yeah, with her. Yeah. So people had to be in my presence silently and not bothering me in any way. But I needed another set of hands there in case, you know, uh, she died or something. I, di I didn't want to be alone, but I also didn't want anyone talking to me or touching her. It was, it's, it was just so unpleasant. And did you feel like there was something wrong or did people you like say Gareth or your family see that there was something that maybe you needed help with? I remember thinking to myself, um, you know, everyone talks about this newborn bubble and it's so lovely and it's such a special time. And I remember thinking, this is a nightmare. This is not a special time. Um, and Gareth and I had had conversations, you know, when when we were together and when we were engaged about maybe wanting three kids and I thought to myself well we're gonna have to tell them that she's gonna be an only child like I'm never doing this again this is awful um so I definitely recognized that the idea of having a newborn certainly wasn't all it was cracked up to be but I in terms of recognizing was anything wrong with me I think I was just able to explain it away really easily or, or people around me were able to explain it away, you know, um, oh, all new mum, all first time mums are anxious, you know, um, the first six weeks are so hard and oh, you're sleep deprived and oh, your hormones are all over the place and that's why you're crying and all of this sort of stuff. There seemed to be an answer for everything. 
Um, and even when I went to the GP at her two week checkup and they said, how are you doing? I'd say, um, I, 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 I don't know. You know, if I feel a bit, I don't know if this is right. And the GP would say, ah, sure, you're fine. You know, you're just a new mom. That's all it is. And you love her so much that you can't stop worrying and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but um, it turned it it transpired that my mom, my sister-in-law and Garrett were kind of having conversations, not behind my back. They were just having conversations with each other as opposed to with me, um, where they were saying things like, like, like Megan's not herself. This isn't, this isn't the girl that we know. This isn't, you know, our Meg. Um, so they were sort of wondering, but if they broached that subject with me, it was met with rage. You know, it was met with this, kind of when my mom said it to me or when Garrett said it to me you know maybe you might want to just go back and and speak to the GP or maybe you might want to I remember my mom phrased it as get a little something to take the edge off was was how she phrased it um and I just remember thinking like how dare you how dare you are you insinuating that I can't look after her is she not spotlessly clean is she not you know, fed and she's been weighed and she's thriving according to the public health nurse. Like, how dare you question me? You think there's something wrong with me? It was, and that's not like me at all. I don't, I'm not an angry person. Um, and I never fight with my mom because she's, I mean, she's one of my best friends, but this was, I blew that one out of all proportion, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it was about it was uh, it was about seven weeks um, after she was born. Garrett had gone. You see, it, it being December, Garrett was able to take annual leave, and then sorry, Garrett was able to take his um, paternity leave, and then there was sort of the Christmas period, and then he took a bit of annual leave, so he didn't really go back to work for a good four, maybe even five weeks after she was born. Um, and then when he did go back to work, everything just got so much worse because, like I said, I hated being alone with her, and all of a sudden, I was alone all of the time. Um, so I used to do, I used to do anything. I would, I would, um, you know, I'd go to Dundrum and just, just literally go for a walk around. Um, I, 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 one day, um, I put her into the car and I drove us for about an hour and 20 minutes down to Gorey and then took the exit, went over the flyover and came all the way back to Dublin airport just because I, I, I didn't know what else to do. Um, and I kind of thought, well, if she's in the back of the car, she'd be asleep. So at least, you know, she won't be giving out and I won't be panicking. And that was how we spent our day. I ran up and down, ran up and down the M50 and the N11 a couple of times that day. Um, and there was one uh, Friday morning where Garrett, he was he was kind of getting up and, and getting dressed. And I, I suppose I was doing the same thing. And um, Ayla was in the co-sleeper. And um, he was telling me that he had to go. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details up to a hospital in Belfast, Garrixa. Um, He comes from a medical background. So he was telling me they'd had a, a case that he needed to supervise up in Belfast. And he was saying, look, I'm, I'm going to leave at half nine. I'll be in Belfast for half past 11. The case is at 12. It's only going to take 45 minutes. I'll be back down here for three o'clock. He was sort of laying out, you know, the time scales for me. And um, I kept my back turned to him because I was, I was bawling, crying at the time at the idea of thinking of having to be by myself for about six hours. And uh, he said to me, he was like, is, is that okay? That okay, Meg? Um, and I said, kind of, you know, I sort of like squeaked out, I guess, like, yeah, yeah, that, that's fine. That's fine. And he said, are you, are you all right? Um, and I turned around and I just said, please don't go. And I broke down completely. I think I ended up on the floor and I just had these racking sobs. I said, please don't go. Please don't leave me by myself. Um, and he said to me, he was like, okay, I, I tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I won't go to Belfast, but you have to go see a doctor. That's it. And I said, okay. I said, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, and I rang the local GPs in Chapel Lizard and I was told, no, sorry, we can't fit you in today. Um, but Ayla and I were new patients there. So I wasn't really expecting much from them. My own doctor who I was attending um, was actually based in the city centre um and I rang them and they said no you know he's actually he's not even here today he's not back until Monday but at that point like Monday just I I didn't even think I was going to be able to survive until Monday like once I registered have you ever cut yourself and not realized and then you look down and you see that you're scraped or that you're bleeding and then the pain kicks in that was that was what it was like that once I registered that this wasn't right i I just couldn't, I couldn't cope. I couldn't last until Monday. I didn't think that I would, that I would survive until Monday. I kind of thought, no, if I have to live like this for much longer, there, there, he's going to end up a, a single parent. It's not, I, I can't do this. So, um, I just started Googling. I just started Googling GPs and I found one in Tala. Um, and Garrett and I had lived in an apartment in Tala for a number of years before we bought our house in Chapel Lizard. And, um, when I rang them, they said, I told them I'm not a patient, but that I really needed to see a doctor. And she said, oh, do you live locally? And I said, I do, I do. And I gave, you know, I, I made up an address on the spot and she kind of said, okay, I was, well, I suppose, you know, if you come down, I'll try and get you in, in between a couple of people. Um, so I got straight into the car. Um, I had Ayla with me and I drove to this GP's. And um, when I went in, when I walked into the waiting room, um, I noticed a, a, a friend of mine in there with her baby because it actually turned out that that was her local GP and I nearly died. Just the the embarrassment, the shame, 
the fact that, you know, in my eyes, she was this fantastic parent. You know, she had taken to it like a duck to water. I had taken to it like a cat to water, I suppose, you know. Um, and uh, I kind of tried to hide and I hoped that she wouldn't see me. And then she did. And she said, what are you doing here? You know, you're very far from home. And um, and I started to cry again. I said, well, um, my mom and Gareth, they think that I might need a bit of help. And she was just she just kind of went, so what if you need a bit of help? Everybody needs a bit of help. Calm down. This is, you're okay. You're okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even remember the GP's name. I'd never met her before. I've never seen her since. Um, I'd say she got a desperate fright when she saw me. <laughs> this, this, uh, thing wandering towards her red in the face, you know, swollen, puffy eyes. Um, and I just, I, I sat down in front of her in her office and I actually couldn't speak. I was so upset. I just kept pointing at Ayla and pointing at myself and just kind of shaking my head as though like, you know, can you interpret this for me? And she just sat with me for a good four or five minutes saying, it's okay, you're all right. You're here. We're going to help you. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, and yeah, I suppose we kind of took it from there. There's a list, there's a specific list of 10 questions that they have to ask you. Um, in order to ascertain, I guess, um, your level of postnatal depression. Um, obviously, the, they're yes or no answers. And the closer you get to 10, the more the, you know, the, I'm going to say the worse your condition is, but the more, the more likely it is that you're suffering from it, I suppose. Um, so I scored an eight out of 10. The only two questions that I said no to were, had I had thoughts of harming myself or had I had thoughts of harming the baby? Uh, and I hadn't, thankfully. Um, I had had a thought at one stage. Um, I had wondered if, you know, you see it in movies <laughs> or you read about it in, in, in fiction books sometimes, but I had uh, wondered in a very dark place one night if people still left babies at fire stations. Um, that kind of was a plan, I thought. But then I couldn't come up with a plausible enough reason as to why she would have gone missing. So I couldn't, uh, I decided I couldn't pursue that. And then I was kind of kicking myself. I was like, well, if you hadn't posted her all over Instagram, nobody would know that you'd even had a baby and you'd be, you know, this would be much easier to do. And, um, you know, kind of when you go, Jesus, Megan, that's not, you can't be thinking things like that. Come on. Um, so sorry. Yeah. I, I scored a, an eight out of 10 and, um, yeah, she said, she was like, okay, I can, I can write you up a prescription right here, right now. And, uh, we'll kind of, We'll get you on the road to recovery and it was like it was it was like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders it was like I could breathe again all of a sudden I just kind of went oh god thank you thank you so much you know um and I suppose really from that day forward everything started to get a little bit better god you would that that was a long time for you to suffer because that's basically what from what it sounds like from an outsider's point of view it sounds like that's all that's what you did you suffered yeah, yeah. I, that's that's really the way to describe it. But I think the thing about the thing about it that makes me really sad and and very angry at the same time is that um, apparently my symptoms came on very quickly and I was treated quite early. Like there are women out there who go through what I was going through every day for six months before they get help. So then after you were prescribed um, medication, you were, weren't mm -hmm. you? Yeah. Um, when, was, yeah. when did you start feeling better? Because I've heard it could take a couple of weeks. 
Yeah, very much. So um, the thing that the doctor said to me was really important was that um, and there's lots of different um, there's lots of different tablets that they can prescribe you. Uh, the one that I started taking was sertraline or sertraline, whichever way you pronounce it. And um, she warned me, she said, this is going to make it worse before it makes it better. And she said that you have to, have to, have to stick with it for three days. Um, and I kind of thought, okay, um, I don't really understand what that means. But going to bed that night after taking my first um, dose of it, I had one of the worst panic attacks I've ever had in my life. Like I had to breathe into a paper bag. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just the, I suppose, the chemicals that they're introducing into your body is trying to kind of balance you out. So it probably takes you from one extreme to another. Um, but it was one of the first things that I said to Garrett when I came home. I said, the doctor said that this is going to get really bad, but I have to keep going with it for three days. And, you know, the following morning, I remember waking up and saying, oh, God, I don't know if I want to take another tablet if it's going to do that. He said, no, you have to. You have to. We have to get through this. Um, so it's kind of strange because you don't, um, and on, on my Instagram page, I've gotten, you know, people asking me questions of like, you know, how do you know when you're feeling better and how long does it take when you're feeling better? It's very odd because it's not like a light switch. You know, you don't just suddenly wake up one morning and think, Jesus, I feel great today. Um, what I noticed with it was that I would only notice when I had a bad day. So I would wake up and, um, I used to call it, I used to call it a dog day and this probably makes no sense. At the time we didn't have a dog, but waking up and realizing that the anxiety was there was kind of like waking up and seeing a dog in my bedroom and kind of going, oh God, what's that doing there? You know, I don't have a dog. Why is it here? But on days when the anxiety wasn't there, I never realized it. I just sort of went about my day. Is that a really weird way of describing it? Um, so you would kind of find, and I got a calendar, I got a wall calendar with a marker. And if I had a dog day, I used to put a D on it and you'd find that every second day would be a dog day. And then every third day would be a dog day. And then you might have a full week before you'd have, and you kind of go, Oh, I, I guess I am feeling better, but it's, it was never, you know, the medication isn't for me anyway, it's not like like taking a drug you know where after 40 minutes it's not like taking paracetamol or something where after 40 minutes your headache is gone and all of a sudden you're feeling great it just allows you to function on a, a daily basis like a normal person whereas the anxiety was stopping me from doing that so all of a sudden you would have a bad day and you think oh but I've had four great days in a row now so you have a bad day um I used to just uh sleep when Ayla slept um or you know if we had arranged to go and meet somebody maybe for a coffee. I became really good at canceling plans. Um, if I'd said, no, I'm actually, we're going to, we're going to sit in now and I'm not getting dressed and we're going to watch a film and we'll order a takeaway because I don't feel like doing dinner. And that's fine because they became really few and far between. Yeah. That's, and you allowed yourself to do that. Then you didn't push pressure yeah. on yourself. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really important because like putting on the, putting on the mask, putting on the facade of, um, you know, it was, it was difficult enough to do for the first seven weeks, you know, mm -hmm. before I was medicated, when people were coming over to visit and, oh, it's such a special time. And how are you doing? And your face would start to hurt with this horrible fake smile. It's great. I love it. She's fantastic. I think I was made to be a mother. Like that was all absolute crap. And um, so like, it's so exhausting to do that. So all of a sudden, if I really wasn't feeling it one day, I couldn't expend the energy pretending that I was. 
So you used to just say, no, I'll t- no, I can't. Can we, can we, can we do next week? Um, or, you know, we might have had a class booked like a baby massage or a baby yoga or something. You say, you know what, I'm, we'll, we'll push it out. And what I found with the classes that I took was if you missed a week, they allowed you to tack it on to the end. So it's not like all of a sudden you're, you know, you were like, well, I paid for six classes and I only went to four. So it was, um, it was just, yeah, you kind of have to do, you sort of have to go with what your body wants you to do, I think, or what your mind wants you to do in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And did you find that you started being more comfortable then on your own and being able to? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's definitely a sense of guilt that came with that um, because I felt like I missed her for the first, for the first, maybe I'd say by the time I started feeling better, I had, to, I was on the medication three or four weeks and I felt like I'd mer- missed the first maybe two months to three months of her life um, before I really started to bond with her and really started to feel that surge of love for her. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, no, after that, I mean, I just relished I couldn't wait for Garrett to go out to work in the morning. I was like, no, it's our day. It's our time. And I used to like, I used to bring her into the bed beside me and we'd have cuddles. And, um, you know, my mom used to say things like, you're giving her terrible bad habits. But I used to love when she'd fall asleep on my shoulder in my arms. I wouldn't put her down because I wanted to be close to her and stuff. Um, I did. Yeah, I did feel quite guilty at the thought of having missed her first few months. But since having CJ, I've realized because I was medicated straight away after delivering him. Um, but I realized that I didn't miss those first few months. It's actually just newborn and being tired and all of that. Like, I don't remember his first few weeks yeah. either, but that's, de- that's nothing postnatal or um, PND related. Mm. That's just having a baby. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you speak to a lot of women. I, I can't, I looked through my phone for pictures of Eva and she was only born like seven yeah. months ago. And like, I, I feel guilty because I can't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then when did you decide to try for CJ or did you? Um, so let me see. Ayla was turning and she was coming up to two. I think, I mean, we both knew that we definitely wanted to go again. And we sort of said, um, oh, you know, like, let's, let's kind of see, let's sort of see how it goes. Um, I went back onto the pill after having Ayla and you see, the thing was, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly conscientious about taking it. Um, I remember when we decided to have Ayla and I came off the pill and I wasn't pregnant the next day, I was in a state of shock. I was like, but I've been, but they've been telling me like my entire teenage years and early twenties, you know, if you skip a day, you're You're having a baby. (laughs) Um, So I remember being quite shocked at, at uh, not that it was difficult to get pregnant with her, but it just didn't happen at the drop of a hat. Um, So yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I, I wasn't quite so conscientious about taking my pill with CJ and, um, then, um, I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, I think his was, his, his was far more normal than hers was. We weren't uh, abroad or anything like that. Um, and I think, yeah, sorry if this is too much information now, but, uh, my body's response to pregnancy like I said I don't get sick or anything like that but my boobs get really big and I'm quite sore and I remember one morning in the shower being like oh my oh my god and I thought no no this couldn't because we're not even trying you know this isn't we just sort of basically said irisher we'll give it a go maybe after Christmas or something like that and um I came out of the shower and I said to Garrett uh I, I think I might uh, take a pregnancy test and he he was half asleep he was like okay as though you weirdo 
And um, I took it. And when I say the two lines showed up in a matter of seconds, like there was no two ways about it. And I was just completely silent for, I don't know, obviously a couple of minutes. And the next thing Gareth just goes, that better not be positive in there. <laughs> and I just came out holding up the test. I was like, um, funny thing, <laughs> I guess we're having a baby. So uh, yeah, but it was great. We were delighted. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. And how did you feel? Did you feel as good as you did on Ayla's pregnancy? Yeah, I was. It was another it was another lovely pregnancy. Yeah. Um, not sick, not tired. Um, we I, around week nine or week 10, we had booked to go on holidays to Lanzarote and the heat made me quite nauseous over there. Um, but and I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, like people who go through morning sickness and people who have that um, high premises thing where they're sick for their entire pregnancy. I just can't even imagine it yeah. because I was nauseous for three or four days and the world nearly fell down around me. <laughs> and did you go back to the coom? Did you decide to go down the same route? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, couldn't say enough great things about them. So had no, uh, no question about heading back there. And I think because I had been assigned Dr. Sheehan the first time, I went straight back onto her service the second time. Um, but in the, in the interim kind of two years, she had made the decision to step down as master of the hospital. So I saw her far more frequently on my second than I had on my first. So we'll skip to your final few weeks of pregnancy. Did you still have a preference um, to get an epidural as you did first time round with Ayla? Yes. Yeah, I kind of wanted everything to happen the same way again. And we had to have a meeting um, with Dr. Sheehan where she she was kind of the one. It was only at that stage that they went into all of the nitty gritty detail about the um, postpartum hemorrhage because they didn't the hospital didn't want me to labor at home. They wanted me to come in as soon as I knew I was in established labor because they needed to hook me up to a drip that had the um, clotting agents in it before I started pushing to kind of give every, apparently if you've already had a hemorrhage like that, you're far more likely for it to happen again. So they wanted, they kind of tried to pump you full of as much stuff as possible to stop that from happening. Um, so my final few weeks were very odd because I was six weeks away from my due date when the announcement was made on the 12th of March that everything schools were closing crash was closing everybody was being sent home um and so I was six weeks from my due date and I still had four weeks left to do in work um and everyone was sent home you know for those two weeks and I kind of was I I was so naive about the whole thing it was my boss was like if there's anything in your desk now that you're going to want she said I don't think you're coming back into this office I said don't be ridiculous I'm not having this baby for six weeks this virus thing isn't this isn't serious well sure look at us now we're nearly going back to work and <laughs> they're all still working from home um but yeah it just it certainly didn't drag as much as Ayla's last few weeks had, I think, because it was just a relentless effort and creativity trying to keep her occupied. She was only she was two and four months at the time. She she still doesn't have a huge attention span for screens or for TV. Um, so it's not like I could park her in front of a movie and, and you know, get an hour's rest or anything like that. Like we had to be doing stuff with her pretty much all of the time. Um, this probably sounds, I, I don't want to come across as, as sounding, um, you know, kind of like I'm patting myself on my back, uh, but like the weather was so nice and there was nothing else to do. Like obviously all the playgrounds were closed. So we um, 
cracked out her scooter um, and we just went on really long walks every day. I was walking 10 or 11K pretty much every day Oh wow! for the last few weeks of my pregnancy. And I was quite comfortable doing it. Yeah. Um, I was waddling a little bit, but just for the lack of anything else to do and the need to get her outdoors and um, Ayla still naps in the middle of the day for two hours, even though she's just turned three. Um, But I was terrified at the time that she would drop that nap because it was like my island in the middle of the day. So we had to take her out in the morning in the scooter so that we could tire her out enough to get in her nap. And then we took her out in the afternoon to kind of, I don't know, uh, like entertain her. We might go into the garden and do painting or something. But um, my labor then with CJ was, they described it as spontaneous. It kind of came on itself. Um, And it was even faster than Ayla's was, but they reckon it's because of all of the exercise that I was doing in, in advance of having him. Brilliant. Great. Yeah. And did, I wasn't were complaining. you nervous? No. Were you nervous at all going into this labor considering um, the last one? Um, I was nervous about, I was nervous about the unknown. I think um, I was nervous at the idea that Garrett might not be allowed in. Um, I was nervous that having to, having to do it by myself, um, you know, because the hospital was very much, it was all still very new um, for the hospital and the staff. So it was very much a, well, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. You know, we'll see how you get on when you get here and we'll see how quickly it's all happening and all of this sort of stuff. So there wasn't, there was no plan. The only plan was you have to get in here so we can hook you up to a drip. Um, but, you know, as far as I was concerned, if my labor was slow, I, I might have had to have been in there for two days hooked up to this drip and, you know, doing it without... A friendly face around so I suppose I was a bit nervous at that part but um yeah similar again to the, the only thing that was different about this was that my waters didn't break at home but once the pain started coming they came hard and fast um oh I was very nervous sorry I was very nervous at when you have your first baby there's nothing to think about when you're leaving the house because you're not leaving anything behind um, with, with the exception of pets, which we didn't have at the time. So, you know, when it came time to go to the hospital, we just walked out the front door and closed it. Whereas the second time around, I mean, Ayla was going to be in the house and we were in lockdown. You weren't supposed to be doing visits. So who were we going to get to come over to stay with her? Um, so obviously I've entrusted my parents with that. Um, but I didn't want to find myself in a situation where I was calling them and it was a false alarm because they're coming all the way over from Greystone. So, you know, it's a good kind of 35, 40 minute drive. Um, so I was nervous about that at the possibility of calling them for no reason um, and then calling them and maybe it being too late and me having to give birth on the kitchen floor. Um, but thankfully none of those things happened and we got to the hospital in plenty of time. It was a weird experience. It was kind of like being dropped at a train station or a bus stop, you know, Garrett pulled up in front of the door. I got out, I had the bag. I hobbled up the little ramp by myself. Uh, He went and parked the car and said that he'd wait for me to phone him. Um, I had to go into the admissions, um, you know, desk and get my own chart and make my own way up the stairs. And it was a very, very surreal experience, obviously contracting all of the time. and uh, again, yeah, they, they brought me in, they examined me. And I think it was three, three centimeters gone this time, not quite as many as Ayla. But they were like, oh, no, you're de- you're moving. Uh, you're moving. All right. So I was only in the hospital for about 40 minutes by myself before they rang Garrett to come upstairs. Mm-hmm. The second time um, the epidural didn't take 
um, the second time. So they had to come back down and have a little fiddle with the wire and top up my, because I was still, um, I was still using the gas and air quite a bit. And the midwife kind of said, well, you had it an hour ago now, you really shouldn't be needing that. Um, but thankfully they got that sorted. And um, yeah, CJ was much better behaved than Ayla was. His heart rate was really strong throughout. He didn't, there was no kind of, we might need to get this baby out really quickly. He was quite comfortable. I was quite comfortable. And um, yeah, didn't need any interventions or anything like that this time, which was great. And uh, didn't have any bleed afterwards either, which was super. And how did you feel then immediately after? I know you said that you were medicated straight after CJ's birth. So was it immediate? So I had uh, at my, at, I think I was about 24 weeks pregnant when I saw um, Dr. Sheehan and I said to her that, you know, this is what happened to me the last time and I have absolutely no interest in, in going through that again. Um, so, you know, is there any sort of plan that we can put in place here? And she said, absolutely. And she wrote me a letter of referral to the uh, mental health unit in the Coombe. And then they brought me in a couple of weeks later to see one of their psychiatrists. So I saw her before delivery um and she kind of assessed me at the apparent I, I wasn't aware of this at the time but um prenatal depression is a thing it can start to show up in pregnancy so she assessed me and she said well you're definitely not prenatally depressed um but she was not nervous but she was kind of conscious of the fact that my symptoms had come on so quickly and so strongly the last time that if it was going to happen to me again it would present itself pretty much straight away so the plan was um that when I delivered that the hospital would inform her office and she would come and see me as soon as possible after delivery which she did she came to see me the following afternoon um and even though like on the one hand I felt very different because I felt the rush of love for CJ straight away and I was like oh this is what people are talking about you know the idea of losing hours just staring at him and cuddling up to him and just thinking he was the cutest thing in the world um and I was I was well able to sleep in the hospital this time because yeah I was you know I I took him into the bed beside me rather than keeping him in the in the uh bassinet thing or the cot or whatever and um I think just to kind of generally as a second time mom I was probably a bit more chilled out um so I wasn't really feeling in myself like there was too much wrong um, but the first thing that um, the Dr. Fenton saw when she came up to me was that my dinner on, on the tray in front of me was completely untouched. And she said, what's the story there? And I kind of said, oh, um, I'm, I'm actually just not hungry. And uh, I think she went and she checked with the nurses or the midwives and they had written down that I hadn't eaten my breakfast that day either. Uh, and she was like, Megan, why aren't you eating? And I said, oh, I, I just kind of, I feel a little bit sick. I think it might be the epidural wearing off or something. And she said, no, that's not what this is. She said, I'm gonna, we're gonna stick you on it now from this afternoon. So um, I left the hospital with CJ in one hand and my prescription in the other and went straight to the chemist. That's an amazing service though. I've never heard of, um, there was a great connection there between you all and how yeah. it was great that she came in, you know, yeah. when she said she would as well. Yeah, it was brilliant. And uh, I had CJ on, a th I had CJ kind of either very late Thursday night or very early Friday morning, whatever way you want to look at it. So I was really adamant. I was like, no, no, like you have to contact her and tell her to see me today because I knew they were going to just discharge me quickly. Mm. If you had an uncomplicated delivery, they wanted to, you out of the hospital as quickly as possible for COVID reasons. So um, I thought, well, no, if this woman goes home for the weekend now, you know, this could, this could spiral into something 
much worse. So, um, yeah, she was she was by the side of the bed later on that day, which was super brilliant. And so that was your um, you obviously she gave you, well, I don't know, was it a couple of weeks, just a course for a couple of weeks? So she we um, she started me on a low dose. So after I had Ayla, I was on 250 milligrams a day and she started me on 100 um, milligrams a day. And she we arranged a Zoom check in for four weeks later to see if the dosage needed to be upped, which it didn't. I said I felt quite comfortable on 100 mils a day. Um, and I so he was born in April and I've had two check ins with her since. Um, on the first one, we decided to keep everything the same. On the second check-in, we decided to reduce it down to 75 uh, milligrams a day, which is what I am on now. And I'm going to stay on that for December. And because I'm going back to work in January, she's going to take me down to 50 in January, but we're going to stay at 50 for three months until the clocks change. Um, she said just the dark winter months and yeah. trying to deal with a new schedule and a new routine and stuff going back to work. So we'll just keep everything nice and even um, until we get back into the springtime. And then I should be able to come off them then after that. Great. Fantastic. It's uh, all the same. It is amazing that we have these tools to help us yes. through. Um, yeah, that's what they're there for, I think, to help us. Yeah. And did you receive any counselling or anything like that to help you as I, well? I did after Ayla. Um, I went and spoke to a counsellor. I think I had about three sessions with her uh, before, in between having her and being medicated. I went and saw a counsellor um, for three weeks, I think. And I always felt amazing when I walked out of her office. Um, and I you know I, I would usually see her kind of late in the afternoon or maybe even into the evening I always felt great when I came out I always slept really well after I spoke to her but by the following morning I was back to my anxious self it was just very very short-lived because I think when she was explaining things to me and when she was saying things to me it all made sense in the moment but I couldn't keep that going by myself you know the next day when I'd say oh well um you know Mags would tell you to say it doesn't matter if blah, blah, blah. And then my head would be like, it does matter, Megan. It always matters, you know. So it was um, things like that were tricky. Thank you for sharing your story with us and for being so honest and open as well. You're very welcome. It was actually, it was a really nice little trip down memory lane, believe it or not, thinking about the two births. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can get in touch via Instagram at Ireland's Birth Stories or you can reach out over the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie. I look forward to bringing you another episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.